really wanting to to maybe dive a little bit into this whole thing of patience and how unlike us God is. As we come into Christmas, uh, it's easy for us to, and I I love the uh, sort of digging into God's word in a way that encourages us to realize that he's actually closer than we think and that uh, very often our preconceptions of how God works and who he is and who we are a lot more harsh on us than he is on us. It's really easy to get into paradigms or to, to views about God and us that uh, gets very demanding and very oppressive and very disappointing. We draw conclusions about things quite quickly. And when Jesus, you know, just think of this, Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem. We're going to think about this over Christmas. It's, it's a story that's very familiar to us. But after 400 years of no hearing from God, somebody, somewhere this begins to percolate that God's presence has come in the form of a baby into, onto earth, in, into earth. And uh, nobody would have expected that like that. And then for 30 years, let's say 29, Mary has got this promise and Jesus has got this promise and nothing's happening. This is the saviour of the world and he hasn't done anything. He's just grown up in Nazareth. And he looks like you and me and he talks like you and me and he does the carpentry probably and he's probably looking after the family and you're going, so why doesn't he start his mission when he's 20? I don't have the clue what the answer is. All I'm saying is that uh, God's ways are so different from ours and yet it's so easy to start trying to twist his arm. And that's why knowing who God is, knowing his faithfulness, knowing his character is so important because if, when you know someone well and somebody questions them to you, you can say, I know them. Just hang in there. There's a uh, story I came across as I was reading this week talking about God's love from a leadership uh, thing that I was reading and it's uh, really struck me. He's talking about hesed is one of the common words used in the Old Testament to describe God. You could translate it as sticky love. It is the sort of love that you can't shake off. It sticks to you through every high and low, every success and failure, every malfunction and sin. I mean, that's a huge concept in itself that God actually adores you and he loves you and he's never let you go. On your worst, worst day, with your worst, worst sin, your worst, worst secret, he hasn't loved you any less than on your best, best day, in your opinion. And as we stand here and sit here right now, his love is the same. And people can protest and say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in his love, and God just says, well, it's not about you. I chose to love you, period. If it takes you all your life to get hold of that, that's another issue, but my love is poured out for you. And so this person who was writing said he went to a summer camp. He was working at a summer camp in Chicago and they used to have people coming in for the weeks and then they would host them and look after them. And one of these particular camps was for seniors. And he said, what happened that week taught me a life lesson about emotional maturity and the biblical idea of hesed, which is love. One older lady came to my attention when we took the campers for meals. It was the practice at this camp to have two lines at mealtime. Those seniors who needed a walker to get around got the short line by the door. Everyone else was in the other line. 
Our first meal of the week, the lady I noticed rushed ahead, knocking over people with walkers until she reached the front of the line where she pushed at the door. I reprimanded her. She obviously could walk fine and should, not be, should be in the other line, but it was though I and my words to her did not exist. She stared ahead, demanding food, and rushed through the door the second the staff opened the lunch line. The surprised staff jumped out of the way while she grabbed food and devoured it before anyone else could eat. This happened at every meal, and the only way to manage the situation was for counselors to form a human shield in front of the walker brigade before she could knock them over. To make matters worse, this woman stunk and could be smelt for quite a distance. She absolutely refused to take a shower, and within a few days the female counselors could take the stench no longer, so a group of them forcibly dragged her onto one of the, into one of the shower stalls. The fight and the noise could be heard all around, but the campers and the staff were grateful for the result. Another camper who drew my attention was an elderly man who was poised and dapper and highly educated. He spoke at least 17 languages and spoke to me thoughtfully and intelligently about many subjects. One evening I sat down with him on a hilltop at the campus. He explained the differences between Hungarian and other languages. As we spoke, the annoying woman walked by and I mentally noticed I could not smell her at this time. I took the opportunity to comment on how she had become the bane of the camp and had been, re been wreaking havoc all week. That's my wife, he said quietly. I was shocked and speechless. This was beyond belief, and I was as embarrassed as I could be for my comments. The old man looked at me at a moment, and then he turned his arm, held, uh, held out his left hand, and I stared a few minutes until he pointed to a long number tattooed there. We were both in Nazi concentration camps. He explained, she was once a concert pianist. She toured Europe, a lovely, talented, caring woman. But in the camp, Ravensbrook, I think it was, they cut away her brain piece at a time without anesthesia. I was in Auschwitz. When I found her after the war, she was like this. We sat in silence and I stared at his arm. After a bit, he said, people say I should put her in a home but I just can't do it. I remember her. Almost 30 years had passed with no improvement, and as I sat thinking, my mind flashed on the camp showers in a large room with shower heads all around, and they looked like the pictures I had seen of the so-called showers where Jews were gassed. And I thought about the lions from meals, and I thought about the glazed look in her eye and her constant panic. And then there was this quiet man sitting by me on the hill. The old gentleman knew the talented pianist. He loved her with that enduring, sticky love the Bible calls has said. This word refers to a love that simply does not go away, no matter how. It's one of the most poignant pictures, I think, of the, of the love of God, who, who doesn't love us because of what's happened to us. He loves us because of what he knows he created in us, which we are still needing to discover in all its fullness. And we're so often wrestling with the outside of what, you know, the stench. And he is trying to get us through into another place with one another and with him. Two weeks ago I spoke about a blind man who was at outside Jericho and, and Jesus was passing through and he was crying out for God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And other people tried to keep him away and then eventually Jesus calls him, tells him to call him. 
I'm going to talk about another blind man. It's earlier in Mark, a couple of chapters earlier. It's amazing what you can get out of the scriptures if one just ponders them for a while. So often we speed read. I want to know the story. As a blind man, he was led to Jesus and then he was healed. He spat on him and healed. A bit gross, but I guess that's how Jesus works. You can never know what he's going to do. So we can slow down on that reading. Bethsaida, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Bethsaida's on the shores of Galilee. If you're the Sea of Galilee and I'm facing you from the shore of Galilee, on my right hand side is Nazareth up the hills, up, up that way, up through the cliffs. Over there is Tiberias. Over there is the Dead Sea. Over there is the Golan Heights. Bethsaida is to my left, a little bit away from the shore. Closer to me is Capernaum, and over here is Chorazin. You can walk from Capernaum round to Tiberias in about three hours. It's, I did that. Behind me are the hills of where Jesus fed the 5,000. So it's all very, very, uh, it's, it, it's not a big area, really. And uh, in fact, Peter and James and John probably came from Bethsaida. But they ended up, if you go to Capernaum, they, they claim there's a house there that, Je- that Peter lived in. Uh, he prob- and Capernaum is about as, not even the size of the property this church is on. And the people came begging Jesus to heal um, this man. And sometimes, you know, just consider how people come to Jesus. How do you think you should come to Jesus? Sometimes, you might not have any faith. I've been blind. I don't believe he can heal me. And you need friends to take you. And they come. you come with us like the man who was paralytic. It, it doesn't matter how you get to Jesus as long as you get to him. And it doesn't matter who helps you get there. There's no magic formula. The, the power is in the presence of Jesus. And so sometimes I don't have the faith to believe something and I need somebody else's faith to help me get there. Because sometimes people are carried to Jesus. Sometimes they come to him and they're begging him and he doesn't need to be begged but they don't know that. Sometimes you cry out and he says, go and fetch them, bring him here. Sometimes he just comes up and he says, what do you want? It's all kinds of ways. One of our greatest dangers is trying to put a formula on God and a formula on Jesus. This is how he works because that's how he met me. Share how he met me, but don't make it a formula. Because it's about relationship with a person who is the creator of the world. He's incredibly unique, incredibly creative. And every sentence in this verses that we read, not one of them is intuitive. So that should be encouraging. You see, you can be yourself. You don't have to be like someone else. Someone else fasted for 50 days and they, they prayed and they got healed. Somebody else fasted for 100 days, they prayed and they didn't get healed. So what do I have to do, Lord? Just come to me. Remember we spoke a few weeks ago about the people who were working in the vineyard and the ones who came in last got the same salary as the people who came in first and they were all indignant. God said, it's my issue, not yours. And then you get to this whole thing of why doesn't... I don't understand how Jesus works. I mean, one guy calls out and he says, come, call them, call them over. 
And, and then he speaks to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? So now what happens if you're blind, you come up to Jesus and I'm going to say to you, what do you want me to do for you? Until he doesn't. So we're going to have people come up here and we're going to pray for them and God's going to heal you. Or if you're going to sit in your chair, somebody's going to put their hand on you, God's going to heal you. Or you're going to stand on your head and God's going to heal. I don't know. So they came to their side and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. But we're learning that if you actually declare God is God and Jesus is Lord and I just declare his goodness and his kingdom over Bethsaida and I declare that he is going to do mighty works and wonders and Jesus himself says, Father, you hear me, I know that you hear me and I'm going to change the atmosphere. And Jesus says, come with me. Why doesn't he just change the atmosphere? I don't know. He's never done this before. Takes the blind man by the hand and he leads him out of Bethsaida. What happens if you bring somebody to Jesus or you brought to Jesus and his answer to your prayer is to take somebody's hand and go somewhere else? And what happens if the hand that's outstretched to take you is not the hand you were expecting? So you go, not that hand. Not that person. Lord, if you want to heal me, you can heal me here. And what happens if God is saying, just follow that person to where they lead you? See, I think a lot of stuff that we wrestle with is because we have preconceived ideas about how it should be and who it should be through and where it should be and when it should be. Instead of just going, Lord, whatever you say. And what happens if you're just taking a hand and it takes a while to get out to the place where something else is going to happen? Can we trust God with the process? So he leads them out of the village. And then he could have said, I guess, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Or my friends want me to see. I'm not sure I even believe it. I think Jesus would still have healed him if he had answered like that. Because the sticky love of God loves the people that he talks to. If you actually do Bible studies and you look up sort of references on these kind of stories, you know what happens most of the time? They kind of diminish the healing and they focus on the spiritual truth that's being learned. So part of, this, part of the story is about Jesus heals the man and then he heals him again because he didn't fully see. So that's a symbolic version of how we are growing and seeing clearly and that's what God's doing in us. Which is true. But Jesus doesn't use people as objects for lessons for somebody else. He responds to the blind man because of his love for the blind man, the predicament the blind man is in. And his response, as we view it, begins to be a lesson that we can draw things from about the nature of God and how he works. But he didn't do the healing, sort of diminishing the man and just saying, oh, here's this man. He, are you kidding me? He, he did the healing because he loved the man and out of that comes the lesson. He's always deeply caring and concerned about the individual. 
He's not spiritualizing that moment. He's actually reaching into the heart of that man at that moment. And out of that comes spiritual principles. Sometimes, we tend to spiritualize things with one another. And I think he's saying, just talk English. Call them by name and have a conversation. I absolutely think sometimes we're praying over one another for Satan to go away and God's saying, Satan's not even here. This isn't about Satan. This is about you and me and them. Just all muddled. And then next week it is Satan. Jesus spits on the man's eyes. So now if you've got a blindness or you've got a pain, come up to the front and we're going to spit on you. Because that's what Jesus did. And we're the first spitting church of Port Alberni. It's got a scriptural reference and we can do this because he said it and he did it so I'm going to claim it. We're the spitting image of Jesus. Why on earth does he spit on somebody? Maybe he says, let's just do something different. Let's mess them up for the next 30,000 years. We have oil now. We'll anoint you with oil. I don't know. I have no idea why he did that. He just did it. I'm just wanting to meditate on some things around this verse. And the, and the thing that, you know, because as, as, we're talking a lot about pressing in, and that can get quite emotional and quite, uh, oh my word, what does that mean? Um, and, and, you know, we're pr- and I'm not ridiculing this. Please don't misunderstand me here. But I am saying, out of all I'm talking about here is, we constantly need to hold everything lightly. Even everything serious is still need to be held lightly because I, as Paul said, see through a glass darkly. And I think God sort of whispered to me this week, and I, I submit it. I'm not saying this is the word of God completely. But um, where it was like we're pressing and pressing in and he was just whispering back, tell them I'm pressing in too. In other words... I'm pressing in God with my, the best I can give you of what I see. And he presses back and says, that's cool. I'm pressing in too. The trouble is he's going to make an impression. And the impression is what brings the transformation. But when God presses in and when we break through, we sometimes go, I thought, I mean, I was heading this direction and suddenly we're this direction. And he said, I thought you said, I'm Lord. And I can do, we just sung songs. I can do, do I surrender. Chris Fullerton sent out a note this week. He said, you know, in the world, when we surrender, it means we've lost. But in the kingdom of heaven, when we surrender, we've won. Everything is different. In your weakness, I will be strong. And so, the pressing in is an interesting one about God doing things differently. Remember when Peter pressed in? Jesus was talking about the cross and Peter pressed in and said, I don't think it's that way, Lord. I'm declaring it's not that way. And Jesus turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Lord, I was passionately pressing into you. And he said, I know you just got it wrong. What's the cool thing about Peter? He didn't run away. 
Then they go up on the hill, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's a really cool encounter for James, John and Peter. Peter doesn't know what he's doing. He's terrified. He says, let's make a shelter for Elijah and for Moses and for you, Jesus. And they go, oh, Peter, you don't get it. We're not camping here. We're just here for a minute. It's transfiguration. You don't need to build anything. But Peter, I want to stay here in the glorious presence. And he says, no, we're going down this, the valley. We don't live on the mountaintop. He didn't get it, which should be encouraging because I don't get it. You don't get it. You think you get it. We get glimpses. We get tastes. We get fleeting things. But we want to camp where we get the fleeting thing. And God says, no, that was that for then. I want to know what the other nine disciples felt about the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John come prancing down and say, we had an amazing experience. And they're at the valley trying to cast out the demons of an epileptic and they're looking stupid because the guys, the father of the epileptic says, your guys claim they have all the power, they can't even do this to my son, he's rolling around. How would you feel? I'd rather been up on the mountain having a great experience instead we're sitting down here struggling with healing and it's not working. And Jesus says, ah, this comes to prayer and fasting. And he heals him. You work it out. Is it because Peter, James and John are better than the other disciples? Of course not. God's just multitasking and he's just saying, you know, all my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm still amazing. So follow me. Trust me. In all my years following Jesus, the one thing I know is that often I don't know anything. Of all my years, the one thing I know is the things I hoped for and expected often don't turn out that way. And other things are what he's trying to do. There's a guy in, uh, as I was preparing this, I thought of the the guy in uh, Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman. He's a remarkable guy. Um, In 2 Kings, there's the story about Naaman who uh, is is a great warrior. 2 Kings 5. And he uh, has leprosy. Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram and he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Have you ever gone to God and said, look what I've done for you, Lord. Please have mercy on me and heal me, do this. You bring him your track record so you can impress him and tell him why, it's, why you're worth his attention. And he just goes, I don't have favorites and that you can't do that to me. I don't work like that. You just come to me. Your track record means nothing to me on many levels. You can't earn my favor. You can't earn my healing. You can't earn my attention. You have it. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. A slave girl who had been captured talks to Naaman's wife and says, I know of this guy over there who might heal him. And she whispers it to the wife and the wife says it to Naaman and Naaman gets permission and he ends up going to the king of Israel. As soon as king of Israel read the letter that was sent with with Naaman, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel? I mean, it all goes ballistic. 
And Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes and he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman's got chariots full of gifts and everything to sort of bribe or to earn favor, why he should be healed. And uh, he goes to Elisha's house. So the servant girl has told his wife, send him to the, the, the king of Israel. The king of Israel comes and says, don't come to me, I don't have any power, and sends him to Elisha. He's on his way to Elisha's house. He comes to Elisha's house and Elisha does not even come to the door. He says, go and tell him to wash in the river seven times. He's an important warrior. He's won battles. He's a man of esteem. And Elisha says, tell him to go and wash in the river. Well, Naaman is thoroughly ticked off. Elisha says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Naaman went away angry. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Papha and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Now we don't do it quite as dramatically possibly, but I bet you we do it. I bet you we do it. I bet you you've done it. You get offended. You get indignant. Why should it happen like this? Who the heck are they to talk to me? A thousand reasons. I know what they're like. I know what they've done. How can God use them? Have a sense of humor about yourself. If you don't, you're going to die. You are a piece of work. So am I. And they're good things and not so good things and complete things and not so complete things. That's who we are. But God is greater. So Naaman's having this little hissy fit because it's not working out the way he did and he's not looking good. And his servants again say to him, good for them, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So through the voice of a servant, Naaman does what he was told and he goes into the Jordan and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy you see one of the things that gets in the way so much of the time is that we come with very limited vision and very limited agendas and God has a much much bigger agenda Lord, I want you to heal me of leprosy. Naaman, the leprosy is easy to heal. It's your attitude that I want to actually touch first. Because I'm going to heal you of something bigger than your leprosy. The woman who pressed through the crowd and had the issue of blood for 12 years. Woman, come out. But she's shy and embarrassed. Don't make her awkward. I am calling her up and I'm calling her out to give her a new identity. Stop telling me what to do. I'm not only healing the issue of blood, I'm healing her identity and I'm healing her whole sense of self-worth and her stature in this community. Sorry, I didn't ask you for permission. Whatever you're coming to God for, be very, very, very open to the fact that he's got some other things to deliver. And the thing that is in your focus might not be his priority. 
He cares about it, but he just might be going after something deeper and better as well because he can deliver more than just one parcel. And then Jesus, he spits on his eyes, the blind man's eyes, and again, in our supernatural, super spiritual culture, we can go, well, I should have a word of knowledge. And you go, don't worry about the word of knowledge, just talk to the person in front of you. I've said this a number of times, I'm totally convicted about it, and that is that so many times we're looking for another prophetic word when we actually need a conversation. That sometimes we're avoiding the conversations by our prayers and our all spiritual behaviors. And God's actually saying, just take that hand and walk. Just talk to that person. Just do this. I will do something remarkable in the midst of it all. Because I know for me, there's many times where you just feel weighed down by how can I get another word of knowledge or how can I give a prophetic word. Or how? And I think God has just started, you know, just said, relax. Just be who you are. Work with what you have and watch me work. You don't have to compete and our problem is we've got so many videos downloaded from net, you know, in the internet now. We're sort of competing with people all around the world as to this is what it needs to be. And you go, I just want you to be you. Because a lot that you're seeing is not necessarily God. Might be, but it's not necessarily. Because it's more fun to think of the big things and the majestic things and the powerful things as opposed to what was it like for Jesus to wait for 30 years before he began his ministry? What was he doing? How was he serving? Because serving is boring. But it's the foundation of the ministry. Or Paul called by Jesus and spent 15 years in anonymity before he actually comes out into the light and then begins to write those great uh, epistles. Don't be discouraged by wherever you are. Just say, God, I want, you be, I want to be the best where I am. I just want to be the best where I am. And so you have this, uh, Jesus uh, spits on his eyes and he asks him and he says, what do you see? And he says, well, I see men and they're walking, they look like trees. You say, well, why doesn't Jesus just heal him completely right away? I don't know. Why didn't Jesus just have a word of knowledge? I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to talk to the guy. And so sometimes when you pray and you say, what's happening? Nothing much or I'm seeing this. And you go, well, then what? Because you see the commentators say, well, Jesus could have healed him completely straight away. And I go, oh, you're super spiritualizing it again. Jesus was a man through whom the Holy Spirit was working. He was perfect, but God was working. I don't know why he saw gradually, but he did. So that's also a reference, absolutely an encouragement to us. The first time you get prayed for, the second time you get prayed for, you don't see something completely happen or happen at all as far as you know. Keep getting prayed for. Keep allowing God to minister to you. See, what happens if every time you get prayed for, you say, thank you, Jesus, that you're doing something in me? And what happens if when you're being prayed for, he's touching something deeper. I don't know. But what happens if we, we, we live out of, out of a place of expectation, out of a place of hunger, and a place of receiving in faith, whatever it is? If I experience it or not, I'm trusting you, Lord, that you are working in me. 
and that you will work through me. So that means that you live out of God's grace and his faithfulness and his goodness. So he's always saying yes to you. He's just not always clear sometimes where that yes is. Am I making sense? Not really. We get ourselves cluttered with our perceptions all the time. If we just actually chill out on our perceptions and go, God, here I am. Will you open my eyes to see what you are doing? There is way too much chatter without a lot of depth right now. There are way too many opinions that are coming way too quickly on a very superficial level that blow away with the wind and the circumstances. It takes time to be rooted. And if we trust God, we just go, I'm trusting you as Abraham had to. I'm trusting you or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, I'm trusting you. If I go into this fire and I get burned up, I'm still going to praise you. If I go through this fire and I come out on the other end, I'm also going to praise you. So this guy, was, uh, he, had, he had the hands laid on him twice and he spat on his eyes and he didn't say, I'm quite offended that you spat on my eyes. I mean, the last person you ministered to, you didn't do this, but this is pretty humiliating. He didn't rebuke Jesus for the way he responded. He thanked Jesus for, the, for what had happened. And I just want to encourage you again. I'm playing with you a little bit today, and, and, but I'm trying to also encourage us. Trust God. Trust God. Let him use anyone around you. And be available to be used. There are people that you're, God's going to use where he's going to say, I want you to take their hand. The trouble is if I take your hand, I'm going to have to spend more time with you than I really want to do. It means I'm going to have to lead you out of somewhere and, and I don't even want to touch your hand. Maybe when you signed up for duty and you said, oh, I'll walk alongside them, you didn't realize it might cost you something. And you're praying for him and he's saying, I just want you to take their hand and take them for coffee for a while. And then you go, why aren't we getting anywhere? And he says, I need you to take them out of Bethsaida. I need them to come out of their situation. Why did he bring him out of Bethsaida? Well, if you look in the other parts of the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus stood and he cursed Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum because he said, Cursed are you. If the, th- the miracles that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have turned. What was he saying? The atmosphere and the attitude in Bethsaida, Capernaum and Chorazin was such that I'm going to take you out of that place because this is going to produce a, pl- a better freedom. I don't understand it. Why can't the Son of God change that? I don't know. And neither do you. And there's times where you're going to change things when you're right there and there are times when he's going to say, you need to come out. There are times where people's healings is linked to what they're stuck in and unless they start being led out of that thing, they will never be free. So part of the answer to prayer sometimes is, I need you to take them out of that and they need to be willing to come out of that. And when he had healed that man, he said, you go home but don't go into that village. He's doing much more than just one trick pony. And so it's about listening and exploring and discussing and sharing together. What is God saying? How is he working? And sometimes I don't know how to get out of Bethsaida. It's my kind of home or my habit. I need somebody to take me by the hand and help me to get out because on my own I'm more secure in Bethsaida, blind, than I am outside the village healed. 
You'll be surprised how many of us sabotage the things of God because they cause fear to rise up, responsibility to rise up. If I am set free from this, then I'm going to have expectations on me. If I actually do not have the security of I'm a victim or I am sick or I am this and I'm healed of that and set free of that, then you're going to expect things of me and I don't know how to handle that. It's a very strange world. And we are very strange people. All twisted up with all kinds of good, bad and ugly stuff. And God's desire whenever we come before him is to heal the whole person. And so I might come up with this and he says, I'll, I'll pay attention to that, but I actually want to go for this. And I would just say, individually and corporately, Lord, you have your way. We sing it easily enough, particularly if it's a nice tune. But to actually do it is where we need the help of one another and of the Spirit of God. So let's put down our preconceptions. Let's put down our conclusion that God's going to leave me with this. And then, of course, one of the heretical teachings is God gives you your cross to bear. And Paul had a thorn in the flesh. That's not a proof text for God causing you to be sick. There's mystery in all of this. That God never gives you sickness to teach you a lesson. He never gives you negative things to teach you a lesson. He transforms negative things to redeem you and give you courage and power in the midst of stuff. It's kind of easier to say than to live until we encourage each other and then hope rises up. We become extraordinary light in the midst of darkness. And then somebody says, you know what? Now I believe that Jesus is real because I'm seeing you handle a hard situation in a manner that's extraordinary. See, a lot of people look at our lives from Monday to Saturday and that's where the testimony is. It's not Sunday. It's Monday to Saturday. And God's presence is for us to know his power and his love every day, his sticky love. So how are we going to pray this morning? What are you wanting to bring to Jesus today? Where have you got stuck? Where have you got offended? Where's the wrong person put their hand out? Or where have you kept your hands in your pockets when you should have been embracing someone? Where are you praying for something to change rather than actually engage in the change? I don't know for you what that is. Where are you confused and discouraged? And you're asking Satan, you're telling Satan to go and God is saying, I'm allowing you to be confused and discouraged. I'm teaching you something. As we heard uh, Laura talk about, you know, um, I may be teaching you patience. Lord, nothing seems to be happening. Trust me. It's easy to worship and praise when everything's going fine. Worship and praise rarely counts when I can't see the wood for the trees and I'm still going, oh God. And he goes, well, that's when you need to just know my presence. And maybe he wants you just to take somebody's hand 
And he wants you to lead you out of a place where you are because you can't hear him because you're stuck in Bethsaida. And you didn't even know you were stuck in Bethsaida. You didn't know that was oppressing you. But maybe he's wanting to say, I'm going to answer you, but you need to move. I'm not talking about moving geographically. I'm just talking about moving in some way. Maybe there's some spit on your eyes and you're offended by the way it's happened. And he just says, trust me. Because if somebody spat on my eyes, I'd probably think it was demonic. See, demonic and God often get confused sometimes just because it doesn't fit. Maybe we're in a process of healing. We're seeing something partially and we're concluding, well, that's all God wants for me. And he's saying, no, I'm just leading you forward. And that can be physical, that can be, that can be emotional, that can be um, understanding God's ways. Sometimes he's very confusing. And maybe there's some of us, he's saying, don't go back there. Go home, don't go back there. If you go back there, you're just going to make your struggle longer. But Lord, I like Bethsaida, I've got friends there. Don't go back there, go home. Who has conditions that have been lingering for a long time? Stand up, please. Pains, conditions, whatever you want to say, God, I've been with you for this for so many years. Oh, my word. Heather, do you want to play that song, the last one from the set, for the opening set? Please. Let's just wait on God for a minute. Father, I thank you for your love, your sticky love, for your faithfulness. And we just come before you with all the mystery of who you are. We invite your Holy Spirit present. Just go ahead and play. Sing. And let's... You can put the words up, Gene, and we can just share in this together. Come, Holy Spirit. And speak to every condition that's represented as we stand here this morning. And we come to you, we don't have to beg like the blind man. But we come to you and say, Father, here we are. And I speak to those conditions and I say, Jesus, in your name, we break them. We speak to pain in the name of Jesus and command it to loosen. We speak to every condition that's represented among us here. And you can just name your condition, give it to Jesus. And Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to come in power and to bring breakthrough and freedom and healing. So let's sing this together and let's just receive his yes. Here I am waiting Abide in me, I pray Here I am longing for you me in your love bring me to my knees yeah I know Jesus more and more yes Lord living
sing that again but if you if you're within arms ranks of somebody who's standing and you're sitting just lay your hands on them and pray God's blessing no talking we're just going to minister together if you've never done it before take a jump and risk it God lives in you Jesus lives in you and let's sing this again if you want to get up and go to somebody feel free give away what you have give away what you have you don't have to tear your garments like the king of Israel saying I can't do this we can because Jesus lives in us I am waiting. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. In me I pray. All sickness be gone. All pain be gone. Here I am longing for you. Do supernatural miracles, Lord. All darkness be gone in the name of Jesus. Hide me in your love. All but unbelief be gone. Me to my knees. May I know Jesus more and more. So I call to life faith and hope in the name of Jesus. I call it out. Streams of living water. Come, come, come. Live in me. All my life take over. Come breathe in me and I will rise on eagles wing. Come live in me all my life take over come breathe in me and I will rise on eagles wing so Father I speak peace peace in the name of Jesus peace in the name of Jesus. Speak particularly to anxiety and stress. Hear the Lord saying to you today, I have you in the palm of my hand. Rest in the process. Rest, rest, rest. Because the things you don't see clearly, the things you only see a little bit of, whatever it is, wherever you are, I have you. And I am faithful. As God sent His Son, His Son, as He was going to His death, gave us a meal to share in because He knows we need the tangible as expressions of the intangible. And so Jesus took bread to His terrified disciples, His disciples who knew nothing. And He said, when 
I break this bread, I give it to you. And I said, eat this bread in remembrance of me. Whenever, whenever you gather together, because you're going to forget so quickly. When you gather together, remember this moment in this upper room when I'm with you, my friends. And I say, do not fear, not, do not fear I'm with you forever. The God who walks through walls will be with you. And those disciples went to their death. They were flogged. They were persecuted. Life on earth wasn't always easy. But they declared the goodness of God while they sang in prisons. And while they were bleeding with backs that had been flogged, they said, Jesus is Lord. And they laid the foundation for the church that we now belong to. Never draw truth about God and about you from your circumstances. So Father, as we break this bread, we pray that the body of Jesus will become alive in us as we seek to come alive in Him. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and He gave it to His disciples. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that means that there is nothing in your life or circumstance that I cannot forgive that is a reason for me to keep you at arm's length. I have paid the price for everything that you owe. I have paid the price for everything where you have failed. I have paid the price for everything where in your blindness you have been destructive. For I have loved you before you have loved me. So all I need from you is a yes. Come to me. Follow me. Be with me. Don't second guess me. Live from the place of my promise that says I love you. And I'm for you, not against you. So as we share in the breaking of bread, those who are going to help are going to come up first and then the rest of us can come up. And we get out of our seats and we come and we cup our hands and we say, here I am, Lord. And we just say, Lord, again, I need to be filled because I don't have the strength in me. I don't have the resources. And then if you need prayer, Go to the back and let people pray for you. If you've got a condition that's been lingering for a long time, go and get prayer. And just trust God and believe Him that the yes is on its way. If not today, tomorrow. For His faithfulness is true. So draw near and receive.